So let's rip on some fucking melts. Yeah, yeah. So let's frame it maybe as let's let's have a look at a few <laughs> months in now he's found his feet. How's how's Kia Starmer doing? Well, they're terrible feet. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh well, okay, alright, uh, i got to tell you this. I didn't know uh, you were a, a feet guy for, for Knights of the Realm. That's, well, uh, it, that's quite it, niche in its way. <laughs> well, in, interestingly, someone whose name is frequently turned into a, a series of feet puns is the Twitter troll Frances Wheatman. Uh, and she's just changed her bio, it turns out. To, uh, oh, I think I've just seen the same tweet you Twitter have. Twitter yeah. user at Thorin Hall. Who's oh, I've like seen it from Twitter user Doctor Fuck, but I think we're probably on about the same thing. Well, I think Doctor Fuck is. Wait, isn't that is that the same person? <laughs> no, they've got a similar cursed energy. Is but... Doctor Fuck Uncle Tits? No. <laughs> wait, who's Doctor Fuck again? Because Thorin Hall is well, isn't it? I, I lose track of exactly what account Doctor Fuck was before, but Thorin Hall is. Well, yeah, yeah, that's um, what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> I thought Doctor um, Fuck was equally as well. Uncle Tits, Uncle Tits is back. Um, he is now at he is now at, at Uncool Tits, um, <laughs> where he is now as Tio Tetas, and he um, he puts his more controversial tweets, the ones that get him banned like every fortnight or whatever, probably justifiably. He just he just puts them in Spanish now. So uh, anyone who's likely to report him has to go to the effort to translate it first. Yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> I love Uncle Tits. But anyway, Uncle, I'm going fra- An incredible Uncle Tits tweet relating to what we were discussing on the, the previous episode. I'm looking into my beautiful granddaughter's eyes years from now. I'm confused because I'm so old, so battle-weary. But I tell her, as I hold her tiny hand in mine, you have to break 20 man's eggs to make an omelette. <laughs> well, Frances Wheatman, anyway, has changed her bio. Like, the first thing in there is a quote Mike gapes with zero charisma. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's scathed. Well, I mean, Gapes is, like, easily the most charismatic man on the entire political centre. So I guess it's not selling yourself too short, but, like, ouch. Yeah, but people are just highlighting, like, all the time she's been racist in the past. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, like anyway, uh, what were we talking about before we got to uh, Francis Wheatman? Oh yeah, yeah, Keir Starmer's feet. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that that. <laughs> oh my god! Right, okay. We've killed an episode uh, dead about two minutes in. That's a new record. <laughs> opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. What's it? We know who the hard left are in the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing position, hard so left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, 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 Well, 
anyway, we, we kind of, I, I had to address that, like, breaking news thing, but it's never the best idea, us doing breaking news. <laughs> no, it'll like, be, be at least a week, and that, that's if we're doing them in the opposite order to, the, to how we've recorded these episodes. We should just guess about breaking news, we should, we should start speculating on what, what's going to be happening in about ten days. Like, We've I, done a pretty good job recently. I mean, I'm very glad that Bolsonaro's dead. That there is that, so it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was world. awesome when he died. Yeah, yeah. The whole of Brazil had a giant party. And I fucking killed Solidarity him. parties Wait, all over the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we, we got a, a surge in crowdfunding and and just went on holiday. It is crazy. He got stabbed again and with with a shit covered knife. I don't even know what the gate goons were doing in Brazil or yeah. why they weren't stabbing leftists instead. Yeah. But there you go. Look, you're not <laughs> gonna get a bucket of fresh teeth through customs back onto the plane home. Like yeah. <laughs> you've not thought it through, mate. <laughs> so yeah, we we we're gonna talk about Keir Starmer. And, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, the again... The former leader of the Labour Party, obviously. Uh, now, uh, yeah, up until eight days is... ago, the, the leader of the Labour Party, but it's a new era now, it's now. A, a new man in charge, it's uh, it's Owen Smith. He's, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> he's back. Yeah, he, he's back in <laughs> the business, prince across bouncing the water. back. Yeah, all that tweeting from journalists <laughs> and sketch writers during the early stages of the pandemic about don't buy a coffee buy a newspaper that that backfired and a lot of people were like oh, i'm buying a coffee i'm buying a coffee and the parliamentary labor party have taken that to mean that owen smith in 2016 was just ahead of his time and now he's in charge because everyone loves coffee and doesn't just hate the sun <laughs> but a couple of weeks ago keir starmer was still leader of the labor party so what what was starmerism what what was it all about we can stop using past tense in a minute because it will get confusing but uh, yeah yeah we're, we're already running enough absurd running jokes with keir starmer that <laughs> yeah we should probably acknowledge that he is unfortunately still the leader for now <laughs> for now there's rumblings what do you think have been the defining characteristics of his leadership so far uh I mean, for me, the defining characteristic would be that cowardice. He, he he should he should be twenty points ahead by now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens? It's just I'm. Uh, what? It was. I told any other leader. I got granted access to this. Uh, it's like a port, portal that you get. You go through it and it goes to a different dimension every time. And there's a different label. Every other dimension. All twenty percent mm. ahead. All of them. Yeah. Yeah, anyone else would be ahead. There's no podcast out there in Britain, in the world, that wanted Starmer to succeed more than real politics. Oh, yeah, but, um, you know, we, guys asked. we spent several episodes just uncritically reading out campaign material. In fact, I can, I can exclusively <laughs> reveal, like Paul Mason did recently in The Spectator, that we were employed as advisors for the Starmer campaign. Yeah, um, Paul Mason was employed yeah. as an advisor for us. Yeah, now, these are separate things, okay? The 10 episodes of effusive praise for Keir Starmer, we would have done them anyway, even if we weren't getting paid for it. Yeah, it's but... the same with all the ones where we took on the Stalinists. Yeah, yeah, this was just our genuine views, and it was nice to be able to do them as part of the official campaign. But with yeah. that said, you can imagine with a heavy heart does not cover it. Oh, yeah. Anyone else would be 20 points ahead in the polls right now. With several pollsters, we are losing ground in the last two days, and it is time now for Starmer to do the right thing, the decent thing, and yeah, to ret well, I... return to the back benches where he can care about 
other countries with the death penalty. Yeah, his little niche issue. Yeah. What even is the death penalty? Obviously, as you know, I was always the harshest critic of Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. I I, I just thought that Corbyn was so bad that that this, like, 20 points ahead meme about him, it, it didn't really cut it, to be honest. Like, Corbyn just he just he destroyed labor any other leader would have been you know at least 40 points ahead um, yeah. and Starmer's not just any other leader is he like no. he's the guy who's going to get us back on track he's supposed to be like mr electability he's supposed to be like the calm hand at the wheel this man is he is an exceptional individual and if he is not 50 points ahead of the conservative party What's he, What's even the point, you know? Exactly. Oh, God. The Guardian of... Or the Observer... Sorry, the Observer, because it's, it's, you know, just before midnight on Saturday night, so this is Observer's Tomorrow Stories coming out. Yep. They've put out an editorial. Competent, likeable, decisive. Keir Starmer beating Boris Johnson on all counts. Yeah, I'm reading this. He's two points ahead of him now in personal ratings. Oh, um, yeah. I, I can't wait for the next personal ratings-based election. It'll clean up. We'll have a majority. I guess this is an opinion poll for the Observer, but it's funny <laughs> if the Observer's wanker readers have all preferred Boris Johnson to. <laughs> to, to I mean, Keir I think Starmer I think their columnists story. probably would, and probably would oh, yeah. today, and probably would five years from now. Yeah, certain journalists in the UK are like, "Yeah, I'm to the right of Starmer on the economy." Atlas shrugged, a moderate tract in my view. Yeah. But Lucy Powell's obviously bigging it up as well, encouraging after only a hundred days as leader. Hundred days. You know, Keir Starmer beating Boris Johnson on all counts. I can think of one that he not only should be ahead on, beating him on, but in fact should be beating him by twenty points, and isn't. Well, does Starmer have you know a a party? And what is he? uh, Because you know you saw that in the late. Obviously, I was going to end up saying some negative things about Stephen Bush in this episode. It was inevitable. But you saw this in one of the recent interminable, endless Stephen Bush articles that was saying basically how you know Starmer is doing great. Everything he's doing is brilliant. People love him. He's just got his vile party dragging him down like just these scum that he's got to represent with their union ties and all that shit and I'm just thinking are they really trying to Joe Swinson this are they really thinking you can just make this all about an individual and fuck the movement because like they are more fucked than I thought like obviously like just the gesture after gesture designed to alienate the left has just has already meant like well good luck getting the people canvassing for you I mean fat lot of good it did at the last election but we'd have probably done even worse without it it seems to be a strategy purely just like engage with the media give times radio as many interviews as you want fucking give yep. do a regular phone in on lbc getting lectured about racism by a guy who tells black journalists to go home if they're not happy with britain's attitudes to race i keep saying it they're gonna turn on him and they're probably gonna turn on him well before an election it's not gonna be suddenly three months before they're gonna decide he's bad because labor might mm. get in Aronovich turned on him over uh, Starmer saying he's going to do unconscious racism Mm -hmm. bias training. (laughs) But I mean, the thing is, they're not digging up any of... I mean, they've done a couple of warning shots, like his mum's donkey sanctuary and all this shit, you know? (laughs) A couple of minor pieces critical about his time as DPP, but obviously the press Mm. haven't gone for him yet. It's a Neil Kinnock thing. They'll praise him while he's in opposition to the left in his own party. Yeah. And once that's been resolved, however it's resolved, I think we know how it's 
probably going to get resolved and it's going to be us getting kicked out. But however it gets resolved, they'll then immediately go for him exactly like they did for Neil Kinnock and they'll probably end up portraying him as a, a rabid anti-Semite or something like that, while yep. if Ed Miliband's still prominent in his shadow cabinet, simultaneously going on the anti-Semitic attack against him. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Miliband is getting briefed against. I thought, I think maybe it might be a good idea to show like the direction of the party to bring up what these anonymous sources were saying about Ed Miliband, who is obviously... What is he? He's shadow business secretary, isn't he? I mean, to be fair, that is kind of from Starmer, a slightly leftish signal. Well, he's, he's... Sorry, uh, this is just one of the first mm. things he did as leader. So he's done a million mm. right-wing things since then to, you know, make that fairly redundant. But given how much business hated Ed Miliband when he yeah. was leader, you can see that appointment as if you were really trying not to rock the boat at all, there's obviously places you could put Ed Miliband that would cause less consternation. And indeed, there have been whispers that Miliband is finding himself to the left of what Starmer's lot are trying to do. And indeed, he has yeah. been briefed about by certain well, figures. In the part of his brief is, is energy now, which he's obviously had before, yeah. more on its own. And he was on that certainly better than most of the Labour front benches at the time. And probably a lot of the people in the ascendancy in the party now. We've talked about how the press are going to react to Starmer, like what was going to happen when they go for him. But the big thing that's hurt him just recently in the last couple of weeks at the time of recording this is entirely of his own making. And yeah, that all, is, and because it's and it's all the fact that he's too right wing. No, no. In, in terms of what's like what I'm talking about in terms of self-inflicted gaffe is is Black Lives Matter reaction. You know. Well, what I'm saying is that goes to his conservative worldview. That's mm-hmm. what is reflected in his remarks on that. The fact, it's the fact that he yeah. he doesn't have a left wing view of the world. He is, as Black Lives Matter said, a cop in a nice suit. What he specifically uh, doesn't have left wing views on is, as you say there, anything relating to the police, really, or, or policing, criminal uh, criminal justice. Whether he was like that from the start, or his career has made him that way, he is consistently an apologist for some of the worst conduct of the police and. Mm. His endorsement initially of Black Lives Matter was quite surprising in a positive way in that respect. But because, obviously, Black Lives Matter, including in this country as well as in America where it started, there's been a lot of highlighting from it here that, yeah, there have been a a fair few cases very much like George Floyd and the similar ones that have attracted attention out there. And he, like a lot of people on the right wing, have essentially sort of turned around over the next couple of weeks and been like, uh, defund police is a bit much. Problems are bad, but the causes are very good. He gave an answer to a woman on his LBC phone-in with Nick Ferrari, arbiter of racism. <laughs> this was a black woman who called in and she suggested that he undergo mm. unconscious bias training. Um, his answer was the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. So you can see why people who love that shit like him, because it was all like he said her name at the start of every sentence and he had that kind of calm tone and he was managing to say nothing of substance but like if you compare his excuse which was like when I said Black Lives Matter was a moment I meant like a defining Mm -hmm. tide turning moment that's what he said in the subsequent interview if you compare that to what he actually said which seemed to be like oh this is a right now there's strong feelings about this but we don't need to get tied up in any political demands his answer is completely disingenuous, yes. and it was it was freakishly Blair-like. 
Uh, it came yeah. it came across like Ed Miliband at his worst, most robotic, trying to win people over in a way that yeah. just made people think he was kind of slimy. And almost like, highlights his own changeable views. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's either an incredibly bad communicator, like more than we thought, or he's just mm. been advised incredibly badly, like I think Miliband was. Well, obviously we know Miliband was because we know exactly who was doing it, but um, <laughs> it's like he's being told to triangulate everything slightly from the right yeah and sometimes you feel like he's sincere about it and they're all on the same page and sometimes it feels like he isn't or he just can't express it very well because it's not consistent with something he's said or done previously and he's tying himself in knots and i think regardless of how electable he may be in, in other ways which is very very much up for debate at the moment yeah one thing we did learn from Corbyn, the fact that he became leader in the first place and that there was support behind him in, in great numbers at times, is that people do value political consistency as well. Yeah. If someone's been saying something's right or wrong for a long period of time, even when it's unfashionable, they'll get the credit for supporting it even as everyone goes behind it. And yeah. Starmore already in a short space of time is getting a reputation as someone who says stuff and then backtracks on it or contradicts it within weeks. Slimy storm. Doesn't know what he means. He's... No, absolutely. That, that'll I mean... harm him even with people who, in a vacuum, if they're just like, is he very close to my political position? Yeah, I'll vote for him. I find this rehearsed, stage-managed quality he's got such yeah. an unappealing trait as well. I mean, thinking of the original interview where he, which is all, it all happened in about the space of a minute, all the stuff he said that pissed people off about Black Lives Matter. It's like revolting that the stuff in that where he's trying to sound all cool and like the hard man and decisive leader slapping down the movement. It's clearly like the lines that they've agreed on are nonsense and I would have no truck with that. Because he keeps repeating those two phrases. And it's just like, is this what they think like sounds badass at Lotto now, you know, in the leader's office? The party has basically been handed back to people who think that like the system works, the people who do things by the rules are the good ones, and that have actually longed for a return to this robotic politics. And of course, I forgot to say when we were recording that this attitude to politics also explains Starmer's attitude to criminal justice. It's very hard to relate to the people who want this kind of like hollowed out, oppositionless politics. Yeah, yeah, and there's no sign that that's something that's going to connect with the mass numbers that it needs to to gain voters at a general election. It's yeah. almost micro-targeting a particular section of the electorate that have been in irrelevance at the last few. Otherwise, we'd have either voted against Brexit happening or we would have stopped Brexit because it's these people that are running everything to do with that and have yeah, aimed at themselves, essentially, with, with everything they've been doing. I mean, that's a question, you know. I think, in a lot of ways, they think, the Starmer team, they think that what they're doing right now is all about appealing to the so-called erstwhile red wall mm -hmm. to northern working class voters who own pizzerias and are property developers. But actually, really, they're appealing to the middle class London-based columnist's vision of what a northern working class person is, which is just reactionary. 
And they don't have the credibility with people who are pro-Brexit, because they threw that out the window by pursuing the second referendum policy. So they're basically thinking, if we're reactionary in all these other ways, then we might have a chance of winning the people back. This is why I was very convinced that the right thing to do was to accept the result of a referendum, partly as a means not to have to get bogged down in all this other reactionary stuff to try and appeal to Brexit voters whose primary demand you have roundly rejected. And Labour's polling right now, miserable. More miserable than ever, really, with Leave voters. So it does feel like things are polarised. The Tories have got about 70% of Leave voters, and it's like, Yeah. yeah, it's nice that we could let them hegemonize the thing that won. The thing with more people supporting it. Yeah, um, the sole issue that decided the election and was always likely to decide that particular election. But oh, yeah, yeah. The strategy to win places back, they've not got a fucking clue. Ideally, you'd want to at least start the ball rolling on winning Scotland back yeah. to have a chance of winning the majority again. They're not going to do that Murray's in one election, even <laughs> if they were amazing, even if they had someone who wasn't fucking Ian Murray strategising that. But did you see that thing? It was about a week ago. A bunch of fucking right-wing Labour councillors we're doing the sort of, oh, the left are running a hate campaign against councillors, against Labour councillors. <laughs> how, how do they think this is going to win back anything? I'm like, have you ever been to Glasgow, for example, where I live, where there was a Labour council for as long as there's been a Glasgow council, pretty much? It was the first place people would go to and it'd be like, oh, you know, they could put literally anyone up with a Labour rosette on and they'd be elected. And now it's not. And now we've got a small handful of councillors and we've lost all the MPs in Glasgow when we used to have pretty much all the MPs in Glasgow. That's a lot of MPs. It's a huge city. And a big part of the reason for that is ineffective MPs and really shit, openly corrupt councils. Like, you know, people doing dodgy property deals and then celebrating by being publicly coked out of their skull and getting themselves arrested. There's always a thing that happens, like, well, it happened under Corbyn, where, like, Labour would get fucking just destroyed in some council election, and all the melts would be like, ah, this shows how Mr Corbyn is terrible. But it turns out that the council candidate who won just, like, murdered 17 people in a mass shooting, or, like, is a uh, just well, a notorious paedophile. The murdering 17 people there is a bit of an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> no, there was one murderer, yes. wasn't there? Yes, there, there was. There was a <laughs> Allegedly, it was never proven. Um, oh, right, oh, yeah, but, okay, sorry, so they, the alleged murderer. They lost various seats in Sunderland over the last couple of years. One of the first ones was in a, a by-election, a Pallion ward in Sunderland. The Lib Dems won with 53.9% of the vote, which was plus 49.5% of the vote. It's called cool, uh, betraying the Remain yeah. cause. Uh, the L- voters of Sunderland obviously vote on the basis of their support for uh, the European Union. Yeah, but Labour <laughs> had previously been over 50%. They lost 16%. Lib Dems gained almost 50%. A giant swing, absolutely giant swing. The rest of where they gained it from came from UKIP, who, of course, collapsed as a party entirely in the last few years. So, FBPE Twitter, we're going at... What's... I'm getting some background noise quite loud there. Oh yeah, sorry, that was... Oh, I realised my, my plastic bag where I've got a load of <laughs> weed paraphernalia in it. Right, um, that's, that'll be right, it then, yeah. It was plastic right bag. by the mic. Yeah, that, that's sorry. it. That's I've fine. moved it now. That's cool. Alright, so all the FBP melts were like, oh, look at this. 
Lib Dems can win loads of seats at the next election. Look at this crazy yeah. results. People are turning on Labour left, right and centre and the only reason why can be their weak position on Brexit. Surely now <laughs> that tells them they need to embrace a second referendum. Again, this was over one single councillor losing his seat. And it turned out the reason they were having a by-election is because the previous Labour incumbent had died. Um, he was massively unpopular. It seems he was unpopular enough not just that they would have voted him out, but that they were eager to get his entire party to put him there out. He had the nickname Stabber Watson. And the reason he had that nickname is because it was extremely widely alleged... And you can Google Stabber Watson and there's people trying to put in... That's what they call Tom at Labour HQ. Like, that guy, he's always stabbing you in the back. There's, there's literally, if you, if you Google it, Stabber Watson Sunderland, <laughs> the first result is someone trying to put in a Freedom of Information request to the Attorney General's office. This is simply the title of the Freedom of Information request they've put in. I'm not saying it's true or not true, but it reads, Sunderland Council Leader Paul Watson stabbed my father David Talbot to death. Fuck. And it turns out that is an incredibly widely believed theory in parts of Sunderland. You know, anyone would know who he is. And the guy was murdered. It's just, it's not been proven that it was this guy who allegedly done it. But none of them had looked into this. They were just like, yeah, this shows that we're just too weak on fighting Brexit. And <laughs> Sunderland, you which know, voted for Brexit. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a council ward. The the number of votes in national terms is going to be tiny, and they can swing hugely just from one party putting up an absolute tosser yeah. above the normal scale. When I lived in Dundee, they'd usually have about two Tory councillors. One of them was near where I lived. And knowing people in that area, it turned out that basically the reputation was that all the local Tories were cunts, but he was the only one that would actually put effort into like trying to do boring council stuff. Yeah. So loads of people who were like centre, centre-right would vote for him and then second preference someone else entirely if you can convince five streets that you're a good person for the job you will win the seat yeah and these people are trying to dictate national policy based on it yeah well we've gone too far off topic so let's return to starmer and the state of the party as a whole so i wanted to get into this briefing against ed Miliband that people are doing from within the shadow treasury team yeah, so fuck, we did article, get a bit off topic. Was this another Stephen Bush article? It says Ed Miliband, the shadow business secretary, is still insisting Labour stick to its market agenda, uh, radical agenda for sh- not its market agenda, its radical agenda for shaking up the markets. The party cannot abandon its commitment to bold economic transformation, as you argued in a recent Guardian article, blaming factionalism and division for last year's defeat. That irked members of the Treasury team, says Wes <laughs> One insider says, not for the first time he was... Pa- to be fair, it could also be Pat McFadden. Not for the first time he was parking his tanks on their lawn. <laughs> they just use that phrase, like, all the time. They're like, whenever they... When, whenever these guys get lucky and they, like, 
go home and fuck someone after the Labour students disco. They tell their friends the next day, like, yeah, I parked my tanks on her lawn. <laughs> His basic line was that the problem was Corbyn, not Corbynism. Which, again, like, is still a cunt thing to think. Fuck you. Stop singling out Corbyn, you bullies. But anyway, there are said to be growing tensions between the Shadow Business Secretary and the Shadow Chancellor. Now, this is interesting. I'll get to why in a sec. Ed Miliband wants to be in charge of the recovery which he sees as being about business and therefore his territory, according to a senior Labour figure. Again, like, <laughs> suggesting Miliband's views are actually somewhat questionable. His view is that business is something you have to tolerate and wrap up in conditions and obligations. Again, to you or I, that sounds kind of right-wing, but they're saying that this is too left-wing. As leader, he divided companies into predators and producers. He creates a sense of business as them and us, but that's not a good place for Labour to be. It's like, <laughs> yeah, not good for Labour to be in the place of, like, any remotely socialist analysis of society where business and Labour are... are, are, are the party that is literally called Labour is, like, an opposing interest to capital. I mean, yes, these people have never been Marxists, it's true, but fuck, they are so right-wing. Now, I think it's interesting that this article says that there have been growing tensions between Miliband and Annalise Dodds, the Shadow Chancellor, because she is one of the more left-wing people in the cabinet, reputedly. Not that you'd know it from her piss-poor rhetoric, but we have been told by reliable inside sources, well, not as inside as they used to be, shall we say, that she is genuinely soft-left that she's not like a market ideologue and that the reason her shit is weak as fuck when she tries to get the message out is that she's just kind of like an academic she doesn't know how to like phrase things in a compelling way she's just a wonk basically but this is actually saying that no she is more right wing than ed miliband she does want to take a more conciliatory tone with business so you know that's pretty worrying there's already the sense that annalise dodds is just keeping the shadow chancellor position warm for rachel reeves yeah yeah <laughs> obviously shadow chancellor it should be rebecca or bailey experience wise but yeah she's not that's something else we haven't got around to covering she is not in the shadow cabinet right now but i have been wondering you know with rachel reeves doing all these media appearances and shit and seemingly being at the heart of a starmer project i'm like shit so i didn't know that the uh, uh, the, the, the shadow chancellor of the duchy of lancaster was uh, one of the great offices of state <laughs> that just kind of it's blown my mind to discover that because i don't even fucking know who was in that position before her i don't know who is in that position for the government it's definitely a good look to have a knight of the realm in charge of the labor movement and someone with that absurd job title as a de facto number two yeah calling the shots apparently well that was the thing they dangled rachel reeves in front of our faces to basically make what his actual shadow cabinet was look good by comparison like when he was putting it together they were all like rachel reeves might be shadow chancellor she wasn't but she might as fucking well be that's what's getting me when some people are pretending not pretending so much but like people on the left are acting like they're is this continuity between Corbynism and Starmerism and that this is not a worryingly right-wing project because that's why Corbynism had to happen. The Labour Party, whatever weakness they'd had under Miliband after he resigned, they just gave up. They just said, right, this country does not deserve to have opposition. It should be a managed democracy between two 
slightly different approaches to free market capitalism, you know, the Chris Leslie era of Labour. And um, <laughs> it's pretty clear that Starmerism is just picking up exactly where they left off in 2015. Capital B team are back, baby, as, as Matt says. Matt Zarb tweeted out those quotes from the article involving Ed Miliband getting briefed against. We're definitely just going to see a succession, I think, of... Obviously, there's not really anyone left-wing left in high-profile positions already, but um, all the sort of people you could generally call centre-left, very soft-left, are going to get picked off one by one, not necessarily sacked or anything like that, but reshuffled, reorganised, or just having someone essentially as the shadow shadow their position, you know? Yeah, Like yeah, Rachel yeah. Reeves was doing first for Rebecca Long-Bailey and, and now Seaman Nefer Dodds. I mean, Rebecca Long-Bailey had about 50 shadows like <laughs> following her wherever she went. Oh yeah, she, she was the one person power. they wouldn't let on TV to talk about educational matters. It was yeah, great. Yeah, they were all waiting in the wings, and obviously the promotion in the end went to Kate Green and I was like you know I I, I saw that happen I was like what the fuck Kate Green where the fuck do I know that name from and I thought back to 2015 no 2016 during the Owen Smith coup when one night I had awoken in a cold sweat during the purge of Labour members I was like holy shit last year did I tweet this is disgraceful from Kate Green because of something or other. I went back and deleted that tweet, and obviously that account has since been suspended, so I couldn't see exactly what it was, but I looked into Kate Green and what she said about Corbyn. It turned out when she was in his shadow cabinet in 2015, she had publicly criticised him for not singing the national anthem on television, and she had also stated, contrary to Corbyn's policy direction, that Labour supported a cap on benefits. So this is RLB's replacement, and she's part of, like, some, you know, some, like, bogus CIA campaign for, like, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But it's the same thing with, like, you know, how Lisa Nandy is chair of Labour Friends of Palestine, so all these melts are like, look, she is a member of this organisation, therefore she is credible on this issue. They've done the same thing with Kate Green. But I'm just like, yeah, well, great, the kind of person who just thinks, ah, he didn't sing the national anthem! What a joke individual, you know? Yeah, um, the, the, there's not much to add to that, is there? It's fucking spot on. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, these weird mediocrities where the qualification for the job seems to be not actually being dragged in the press much recently. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. Like, that's been what's grating about seeing how Starmer gives out jobs. Just disloyalty rewarded. But, you know, I thank them for setting a precedent that you can say whatever negative shit you want about your party and it doesn't count as disloyalty or wrecking. Yeah. Like, if Wes Streeting can do what he's done the last few years and get promoted into the Shadow Cabinet, then we can do... Uh, yeah, we can say whatever the fuck we want. We're gods. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this, this whole no opposition for opposition's sake, which means no opposition... Thing, yeah. or just incredibly targeted specific opposition, you know, or mm. you know you've 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 introduced this, but it should actually be five percent higher, or, or have come in two days earlier, or something. So that's a bad example because if they'd brought the lockdown in even two days earlier, it would have made at least some difference. But what's the goal with this? If your strategy is to concede every point that the voters currently like right now, or, or did immediately before coronavirus, for example, about the Tories. How exactly are you going to beat the Tories in an election? What's the actual end goal of this? Whereby if Boris Johnson and people directly around him, like Matt Hancock, advisors like Cummins, if they all get 
taken down ultimately by the COVID-19 fallout. People are so angry about how many people have died and the mass unemployment coming that they basically know they're not going to win another election with that team. Everything Starmer's doing is just going to set up, oh right, great, okay, so now we're just going to have Michael Gove or someone as Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. What is yeah. Starmer doing that actually suggests we should actually be in charge here, we should be running the country, as opposed to, well, Boris Johnson, his ideas, his policies are pretty much all fine, but <laughs> he's a bungling fool and they lie about some of the figures. Well, this is it. They've basically sacrificed the notion at the altar of so-called electability that they can change the public's view on anything, that they can even influence the public's view on anything. This was... I mean, we, we know that no one does prostration before media as well as Lisa Nandy. It's her speciality to go on TV and demean herself by saying, Oh, yeah... We're shit. Ah, yeah, we're so shit. The Tories are great. Her appearance on uh, Times Radio, on former Labour MP Gloria DiPiero's Times Radio show, which, by the way, Tom Newton Dunn, Aryan Unity guy, he was uh, he was on there with her. And Nandy called in, and Gloria DiPiero went on some stupid rant. Like, it feels like in Labour, they have every kind of diversity, except diversity of opinion. That was her, her opening salvo. It's always going to start well. It's like an Andrew Doyle line or something. And she said, basically, would somebody be welcome at a Labour meeting if they walked in with a Daily Mail under their arm? Nandy was like, yeah, I'm sure they would be. Uh, I'm like, I'm no, I would, like, ask, like, get that fucking filth out of here. Like, no, I would not be okay with people bringing the Daily Mail to a Labour meeting. Fuck no. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she had, like, this little folksy answer. Like, oh, well, in Wigan, they mostly bring copies of the Wigan Gazette or something. Oh, <laughs> fuck uh, off. Like, you're literally just like, oh, my God, it's such an act, such a performance with Nandy. But anyway, then DePiro asks, would somebody who believes in cutting benefits be welcome in the Labour Party? And she basically cited this kind of like imaginary working class woman. She was like, well firstly she was obviously straight up like, yes they would be welcome in the party. Uh, oh yeah, I just found a bit. Apparently, Helen Pidd went to a Halloween party as Corbyn. <laughs> Great. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nandy on the DePiro show, she just basically invented like this magical working class woman with her folksy wisdom. Just so basically, like you've got to have the fire in your belly. That <laughs> James Bloodworth invented this working class man. This is like some working class woman. He's like, it's our money, love. Don't spend it all. <laughs> And it's like, well, Lisa, that woman is stupid. I'm so, I'm sorry, but you, if you're, like, a remotely intelligent person, know that shit is wrong. So why are you trying to dignify this shit on Times Radio? And again, it's just the kind of, like, we've got the new leadership now where they don't point out the inherent contradiction in Rupert Murdoch's Times Radio with its highly paid hosts uh, and their decades-long careers in the upper echelons of uh, British (laughs) public life, where there's no kind of contradiction. These guys being like, oh, working class this, working class that, or them lecturing us on racism or anything like that. It's basically now, it, it is impolite to point that out. That's like the dominant feeling of the Labour Party. It's like, 
Yeah, let's engage with these unengageable people. Yeah, but by engage, again, it's just... On their terms. Yeah. Show their views uncritically. That's not how people have found these views. They've not just been born with, like, this is my set of northern views that I have. It's ridiculous. There's just no examination of any of these things, and that is a lot of why the centre-left have failed miserably since their successes in the run-up to the first Blair government, in that they've just never made the case for even the things they do believe in to the left of the Tories. Mm. When they were to the left of where the Tories are on immigration, but never, ever made the case for it. So you still had five... 10 years of every paper attacking it every day so the actual country was getting more and more sort of turned against it but then when that's backfired that then becomes oh the people in these whole regions or everyone with this social background they're just racist what can you do you can only be more racist to react to it yeah it's a complete refusal to take any responsibility for how that situation comes about in the first place the campaign that they're joining for now we're going to boycott facebook advertising for july i think most of the companies that are doing that are not like we're never going to advertise on facebook again right yeah. we're pulling all adverts for a month with the employees we'll continue doing this if they don't but they're just going to make sure not to undermine it and be like defending facebook when asked about it now by the press which would be a very keir starmer thing to do but yeah if they do a longer boycott, they're essentially conceding a wide amount of ground that they're already getting beaten by the Tories on in terms of Facebook, both through advertising, all the various fucking dark money campaign groups that were all over the last election. Yeah. And also, they're going to need at some point to be starting as a party, not through advertising so much as through their general communication get some sort of strategy in place to combat your racist old uncle on Facebook and WhatsApp factor, the person who's sending memes about how Keir Starmer is like personal friends with Jimmy Savile and all this. Yeah. Because that's already widespread. So I I found a thread of Starmer Apologia. I'm not going to go through and read the thread, but I'll give you the gist of it. It's essentially (laughs) thread on why Keir Starmer is more right-wing than Ed Miliband in 2015, in quotes, is wrong, policy by policy. You can get the gist of it. But yeah. The first one is tuition fees. Miliband cut tuition fees from 9,000 to 6,000. Great policy, by the way. <laughs> uh, one-hour contract. Abolish tuition fees. So, I mean, this just assumes that basically Labour will go into the next election with their 2019 manifesto. That's literally all you need to say to disprove this thread. His pathetic t- ten pledges in addition to that, which the entire tenor of his leadership has been to the right of those already vacuous pledges that left him a lot of wriggle room to move to the right. Just an example of why this thread is completely off the mark. When Starmer was asked about something involving tax, I think it was whether he supported a wealth tax on his regular LBC phone-in, which he does the other day, uh, he was like, I'm not... He got kind of flustered. He was like, I'm I'm, I'm not even going to start speculating on um, uh, uh, our tax policies for the next election. So there you go. From a horse's mouth, Keir himself says Labour's policies will probably change substantially before the next election. As we all knew, apart from apparently the soft left, who, you know, those of them who still like the idea of left-wing policies, if not in practice, think that we're still going to get some kind of Corbynism without Corbyn. Deluded as fuck. Yeah. You were conned. 
a lot of them have gone very quiet recently. The ones that aren't just complete right wing bellends masquerading as soft left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lloyd Russell Moyle has issued an apology because he said Jewish claims to Israel were not progressive in their very nature. By the way, obviously that's the headline. You click on the quote, he said this on Facebook in 2009. I mean, do you think that's, obviously both of us are not Jewish guys, so we're not arbiters of this kind of stuff, but do you think that's particularly offensive stuff? It's one of those things where you say it could be phrased better, but I think if you're approaching it yeah. with good faith, you can kind of see that basically what he's saying is that Israel was kind of like founded by like turfing Palestinians out. Yeah. Like that's just, that's well, inseparable from the history. Also, like, the other thing is, you can be careful to uh to use real real politic terminology cows come home but there's always going to be some way that someone can take you out of context and misconstrue what you say like some people you know are just not fucking sincere good faith actors well putting our opinions aside i mean even lee harpin who has very different opinions to us on a lot of these issues is framing it as at best, these comments are naive, and it's not the first time. So even from him, they're saying, like, oh, that's not resignation material on its own. They're saying, oh, he's always at it, you know, which he's not. But Lloyd's a bit erratic sometimes, late well, at Gabriel night. Well, Gabriel Pogrand, <laughs> he's framing it as issuing yet another apology. Um, yeah, but the yeah. other apologies have tended to be for unrelated stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's kind of disingenuous. That's making it sound like he's had to apologise for anti-Semitism mm. when he apologised yes. for a kind of... Clumsy intervention into the J.K. Rowling thing, you know? Cl- well, it was a clumsy sentence in an article that was more or less pretty spot on. Of all the things wrong with what J.K. Rowling said, why would you pick up on him mentioning being a victim of domestic abuse and even do anything that could be implied as a weaponising it? There's just a hundred reasons you could steam into it anyway. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. I think he is maybe... It's not like trans women don't suffer from domestic abuse, is it? So it's like the fact of like saying, as a woman who suffered from domestic abuse, this gives my opinions that are bigoted against trans people more credibility. It's an absolutely shit argument to use, but just that you've got to be careful to not make it not look like you're either doubting it happened or making light of that happening to her, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lloyd Russell Moyle tweets and posts stupid shit. Perhaps he was doing it back in 2009, but this doesn't actually sound anything <laughs> was like he that bad. Uni or something in 2009. He's a pretty Probably. young guy. He's, he, he's, he can't be much older than me. I thought Alex Sobel was pretty young, but it, he's like in his 40s. But he, he is, <laughs> Lloyd is younger than me. That's terrifying. Oh shit! Yeah, Only I, slightly, sure but there's an MP who's younger than me now as well, which I'm like, fuck this shit. I know. Oh, I guess there's been like. Uh, uh, Mary Black was... Oh, yeah, she, she was way younger than you. She was, like, 19 or 20 or something when she got Yeah, in. although I think she got in when I was a similar age, so it wasn't like I was, like, looking down, oh, this young fuck. Well, I was, because, obviously, she was remarkably young for an MP, regardless of how yeah. old you are. Yeah. The yeah, soft left's was... favourite is, is quite young as well. Diana Davison. Oh, The, the massive hell, racist yeah. Tory who's friends with all the local Nazis. <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, Lloyd is only eight years older than I am. Oh my god, he's got EU in his bio. Is that the. Yeah, it's the EU flag, okay. He's got a bit of a Clive Lewis energy to him in that he just does not think before he, he tweets. And sometimes <laughs> that can be good in that it'll be quite fucking combative <laughs> on stuff that even other MPs with reasonably sound politics will be like, oh, let's agree to disagree. 
But then yeah. sometimes he just either gets himself in trouble in this sort of way, or he starts trying to defend himself to half a left, that actually, no, you can be a socialist and a landlord, which yeah, is yeah, not an yeah. argument he was ever going to win. So, the full quote from Lloyd Russell Moyle in 2009, again, such a confected fucking uh, row, 2009. It's, it's so nothing, isn't it? There's, there's nothing offensive about it at all. Let's listen to what he says. I think that if we look at independent sources such as the UN, it is clear that the IDF is targeting civilians, children, and young people. This is not to say that Hamas are good. He even does the like, oh, mm. I don't support Hamas thing, which is itself kind of like an equivocation. <laughs> not a Hamas offered... fan, but this is class. <laughs> Although they have offered to talk when the Israeli government is the one that has refused publicly. Although, as always, both sides do talk to each other. It is crazy to say that calling for this is pretty nuanced man it's crazy to say that calling for peace and a ceasefire by the only people that can bring about a ceasefire the idf and the israeli government is anti-semitic it may be anti-zionist but then again most of the jews and socialists that i know are anti-zionist as they feel as do most people in the uk and around the world that zionism is a very dangerous nationalist idea you are right to say that we shouldn't make it seem as though the waving of Palestinian flags is any better than waving any nation's flags. See, I, I think that's untrue. There's a legitimate liberation-based reason to wave Palestinian flags. So this is like an incredibly moderate mm. statement here. But one does have to have sympathy with a nation that is oppressed as opposed to the oppressor. There's quite a lot. I think he was probably steaming drunk when he t wrote that because there's a lot of typos. But it's pretty lucid. It's pretty easy to understand what he's saying. And what he says about Zionism there is simply saying that most of the people he knows on the left are not Zionists, which I think probably it might have been different in the post-war era. But it is quite hard to find people on the radical left and you know maybe Lloyd didn't own property in 2009 he was in slightly more radical circles back then you don't find that many who are like proud about their Zionism you know we we obviously we have a Jewish host of this show Yair he does not identify as a Zionist and is on the radical left so I think it's pretty uncontroversial the stuff that Lloyd Russell Moyle is saying here. In fact, like I say, I even think that you can critique what he says here from the left. Yeah, yeah. If he does have a, a hard left position on that, he's been very diplomatic about it there, you know? Even in the way people like Lee Harbin are framing it, as I say, they know it's not much of a gotcha, even in the climate where there's more sensitivity towards specific phrasings on things like that. There's not much to it. He's not got a record of saying anything worse than that on the situation. Yeah, I mean, I 100% think that now he would not go out in the media and say that Zionism is a very dangerous nationalist idea. No. But I don't think that that would have been necessarily a controversial thing to say in left-wing circles 11 years ago when you're not a member of parliament and is not in itself an anti-Semitic thing to say. Yeah, and in 2009 it's quite important context as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're there, right. there was well... some stuff going on there. Um, yeah, uh, you know, well over a thousand Palestinian deaths. That's the thing. Like a lot of the worst quote-unquote anti-anti-Semitism gotchas are like they pull out this quote where someone was like, "Israel shouldn't kill children," and it's always dated like 2014, 2009, like when Israel was like documentedly just like fucking killing loads of children those are the ones that don't stick yeah, because they are clearly just criticisms of israel and not an anti-semitic statement 
So I think Lloyd, I mean, he's obviously apologised. If Starmer is consistent in his approach to this, there's no way he'll be sacking him after supposedly owning up to what he did wrong. But again, I think, you know, there's a lot of, like, people owning up to doing stuff they did wrong when they didn't really do anything wrong at the moment. So, you know, I understand why LRM felt he had to do that. Okay, maybe he doesn't want to get sack from the shadow cabinet for supposedly saying something anti-semitic so uh, i'm gonna try to be brief because i already recorded this and then my computer restarted while i was out for house and it didn't save so basically since we recorded this episode lloyd russell moyle has resigned from keir starmer's shadow cabinet i think that in this case the story that we were discussing about the thing that he said that was really perfectly innocuous and he said 11 years ago before he was a professional politician was the straw that broke the camel's back and he in his statement cited a kind of right-wing hate campaign that's been stirred up by the media against him and whatever your opinions on Lloyd I mean we mentioned that he's like a landlord and stuff I think we kind of been making too big a deal of his flaws in this scenario. I can see the case that somebody who wasn't willing to stand up for himself in this scenario, is he necessarily worth our defence? But I think yes, because it's very reasonable that people are scared, given the like full-on repression of the left that is going on right now, how you don't even have to say something. You can retweet something where someone says something amongst a lot of other things, or someone will find something you said more than 10 years ago, and then your whole reputation is sullied by that. There is a real full-on McCarthyite thing going on right now, to be honest. We can see it with the way that Dawn Butler has had to shut down her constituency office because of the sheer levels of far-right threats. We can see it in the way that the media have been gleefully cheering on the harassment of Jeremy Corbyn, continuing to paint a target on his head for the far right. So, I mean, these are dangerous times to be on the left right now, and I actually don't think you can necessarily blame Lloyd for not being able to take the heat for apologising. Same goes for Rebecca Long-Bailey and Maxine Peake, who both apologised when it can be argued that they should have stood up for themselves. So, yeah, Lloyd today was like tweeting some nonsense about in Jess Phillips's replies no less about the 2012 Olympic Games ceremony and how wonderful it was and how it was the last time Britain was united okay that's obviously a load of bollocks but someone on the far right doesn't give a fuck about that when they call up his staff which was what he cited in his statement about his resignation and threaten them so unconditional solidarity with Lloyd Russell Moyle and with Dawn Butler and with Jeremy Corbyn and all the harassment from far-right thugs they are receiving right now, be they so-called journalists or otherwise. But I don't even think that socialist MPs should be in the shadow cabinet anyway, really. They're wasting their time. Yeah, I think certainly if there was any doubt over that, it's been erased recently with what happened yeah. with Rebecca Long-Bailey. Yeah. And the, the reaction's been a bit disappointing, really, from the campaign group in a lot of ways about that. It has. Well, they had a meeting with Starmer mm-hmm. the next day, and he was like, well, uh, I disagree with you on the thing that you're here meeting me about. And then they went away, like, very constructive meeting uh, we disagreed and that's that <laughs> okay thank, thanks guys like, i mean they were linking petitions on twitter <laughs> yeah when john mcdonald did that like petition reinstate rebecca long bailey it's like have you not got keir's number 
you'd think McDonald's overtures to the Remain movement might have brought him closer to Starmer in the last couple of years, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I did like the fact that Corbyn went to see Starmer to complain about the treatment of RLB. That was nice. It shows that he's still looking out for the younger generation of left MPs. But, you know, aside from, like, Bergen and Lavery both uh, taking any opportunity they can to get in, like, a sly pop at the leadership that sacked them, which obviously I fully support, like, when, uh, what was it the other day? Someone in Labour said something quite right-wing, and Lavery immediately tweeted that he disagreed without naming them. He just, like, subtweeted them, was like, I support this left-wing thing. Not cutting benefits or something, probably. And Bergen's doing something similar. But obviously they're not in the shadow cabinet, and it feels like all the people who Starmer is appointed as junior ministers uh, they've kind of he's muzzled them basically he's bought them off I do think though on one campaign group MP a recent joiner of the campaign group Margaret Greenwood I do like to think about how pissed off Stephen Bush is that she's still a front bench minister because like <laughs> every article for the last three years of Corbynism Stephen Bush has been like vigorously campaigning to get Margaret Greenwood sacked he just fucking hates her he's just like she's made no impact and it's like well I think because she was left wing like no one ever reported on anything she said but the fact that Starmer's kept her on (laughs) I like to think that old Stevie is stewing away about that I think he probably is about a lot of things he's really gone mask off hasn't he these last few months oh my god he would would occasionally anyway there'd be the occasional article every few months where it's like yeah this guy's actually just a massive blair right yeah but i'm to the right of starmer you know he was clearly going in a pattern of he's working hard to build up capital as a competent journalist who takes interest in views outside of my own and since december it's just no fuck it i'm just gonna be a partisan act like the rest of them it's quite funny but the guy who we it just shows how fucked over we've all been like but we the guy who for like three years we were like oh he's the only one who covers us fairly you know we wish all the other journalists could be like him adopted the most extreme position you can possibly have on corbynism that anyone who even tacitly supported it like signed a culture for labor letter or you know simon wren lewis with his yeah support for corbyn is an anti-semite yeah <laughs> like joe hams is like <laughs> the face yeah. of hard left anti-semitism like that is the most extreme possible position on corbyn and, and joe hams specifically who... for endorsing them with a massive massive caveat saying i'm yeah. concerned about their reaction to anti-semitism here's why <laughs> and this is also consistently what he said on Twitter. Stephen Bush knows that with the soft left, there's a lot of aspiring journalists and spads and this sort of thing there. And he's essentially trying to wield his clout that he's built up over yeah, the Yeah, I years. think he's like... I can help you guys out. And if you go even more than an inch to my left... You're fucking out, son. Yeah, it's like, uh, I think you guys may have thought that you could actually support left-wing policies and do this. Let me break it to you, son. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, he has come across, like, as he's wielding his power. I actually, you know, I think the defining moment for me of when Stephen Bush turned into just an outright prick was when he, like, wrote just a really, really negative review of Liam Young's book for The Guardian, I'm just like, you know, would he do that to Helen Lewis? Would he do it to Cowley? No, no he wouldn't, would absolutely he? Like, not. 
No, it's like when Helen writes a book literally called No Penises in the Locker Rooms. You know, he won't say a word about that. He never has, has he? And Cowley's book, like, Why Rhodesia Was Better in the Old Days when it was called Rhodesia and my lot controlled it. He's not going to say a fucking word about that. Oh, no, it's, um, it's all about relative power and influence, you know? Exactly, he's got a fair but, bit now, but there's obviously people above him on the totem pole. And Yeah, but The Guardian were like, yeah, do you want to slag off this Liam Young book? And he was like, yeah, fuck yeah. I'll just, like, this guy who like I've published and worked with multiple times like I'm just gonna stick with booing to him and yeah and again it's like it's not that you can never criticize other journalists it's just it's telling who he decided to do that to yeah and then it turned out like a week later Bush like all the other journalists was like oh this data about the youth quake was completely wrong and then like a week later somebody different and I think more credible published new findings that showed no actually it was right but the bit that the press all remembered was that no actually for 2017 election young people hated it it was the least youth engagement ever i mean it is just like a reactionary pedant thing to do to try and deny the fact that that election clearly did involve a huge engagement of youth I also just want to interject after the fact and say that Stephen Bush may have disparaged Liam Young's book, but he's not exactly got the most discerning tastes in political literature himself, given that he ranked that absolute, like, stocking filler for your worst melt relative, Aisha Hazarika and Tom Hamilton, you know, that awful guy off Twitter their fucking book about prime minister's questions he ranked that as one of the best books of the year it came out so yeah sorry liam that you can't be in that esteemed company but yeah since then the guy like i say adopted the single most extreme position on corbettism you can have (laughs) so yeah yeah that's quite the heel to uh, not not that he was a good guy really anyway but that's Mm. still a, a hell of a fucking turnaround yeah He's going to end up just being one of these tedious opinion guys that hang around for 20 years. He's done his few years putting some effort into gremlinology and so on. And he's just going to end up, he'll find one or two papers and he'll pop up every week with why the left are at it again, blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah, uh, it will be like, who's in the Times today? Oh, they've got Tom Newton Dunn doing a freelance column, because he's left the sun now, obviously. Oh, and he's next to Stephen Bush, and Stephen's like, Corbyn has shared platforms with problematic people. Such a full of shit bastard, honestly. Speaking (laughs) of this sort of thing as well, I've made a horrible mistake in that about... A week ago, I turned on Twitter alerts for Mike Gapes' tweets. (laughs) This was a mistake, because if he retweets someone that I have blocked or that has me blocked, I can see their tweets. So I now know that about half an hour ago, Oliver Cam has published a link to a new article for Prospect magazine. Where he says, I've, yeah, set, everyone reads. I've set out the historical record here, which is all about <laughs> Corbyn's woeful record on defence. The Labour <laughs> leader's position on the Kosovo war is repugnant. I'm not going to read it, but I've got a slight hunch that he's going to be a little bit sneaky in how he frames things here, you know? Uh, I think. Fuck that warmongering cunt. And fuck Prospect Magazine as well. It's like, yeah. behind a paywall and it's ostensibly not even aimed at Tories. And specifically, to specifically fuck Oliver Cam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't have to be with a cricket bat that works. Other imp- other blunt instruments are <laughs> oh, available. <laughs> He's never going to listen an hour deep into an episode. No, no, of course not. His pay rate and whichever agency he actually does work for is not high enough for him to be doing that. <laughs> or not low enough for him to be doing that, rather. 
Right, let's leave with a sage quote from Diane Abbott on what the Labour Party needs to be doing or not doing at the moment. It doesn't matter how forensic we are, and it doesn't matter how much Guardian <laughs> writers like us. Yeah, damn right, Diane. Been listening to the <laughs> show, like specifically yeah, thankfully... to, this, to these episodes that we haven't released yet. Yeah, thankfully <laughs> someone's saying it. Good to see her getting the gloves on anyway. Right, let's wrap up. Yeah, let's do Good that, to, yeah. Uh, yeah, good to talk, and I think we've covered quite a lot of stuff. Cause in another lifetime, when I'm time and blood. Darkness was the virtue and the road was full of mud Coming from the wilderness, a creature by the farm I'm anxious that I get up Shelter from the storm Not a word was put between us, there was no risk involved Everything up to that point had been left unresolved I imagining a place where it's always safe and warm Shelter from the star Suddenly I turned around She was standing there With silver bracelets on her wrist And flowers in her hair She walked up to me so gracefully And she took my crown of thorns Come in, she said, I'll give you Shelter from the stars I was buried in the hill Wasn't in the bushes and blown out on the trail Hunting like a crocodile ravaged in the corn I mean, she said, I'll give you a shelter from the stars
across the line. Beauty walks on the razor's edge. Someday I'll make it mine. I could only turn back the clock. Doing God in her barn. And then she said, I'll give you a shelter from the stars. Crowdsourcing.